Hey everybody, welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, and on this week's show, we are going to break down Florida's 74-59 opening night win over North Florida. We will also dive in to uh, Sunday's big matchup against Florida State. Seminoles started their season in conference on the road and lost a heartbreaker at Pittsburgh uh, last night. So they'll enter the O-Dome with a five-game winning streak over the Gators, including a 4-0 mark against Mike White and his staff, but certainly uh, 0-1 and, and with their backs against the wall to avoid an 0-2 start. I talked to Kurt Weiler of the Tallahassee Democrat, Noel Sports, about Florida State basketball. That segment follows um, Eric and I. So just uh, hope you guys enjoy the listen. And um, at the one-hour mark, that 20-minute interview with Kurt Weiler, deep dive into the Knowles that uh, follows the normal show. So uh, thanks, everybody, and enjoy this week's program. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I am with, as usually is the case, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, 1-0. 1-0, undefeated. Um, don't raise the banner quite yet, but uh, hey, it's good to, uh, it's good to <laughs> see it because, hey, there's a lot of other teams uh, teams that fell, uh, lost some bye games, or, you know, Florida's uh, uh, opponent on Sunday that we'll get to, Florida State, they lost their opening game. So, uh, hey, I mean, uh, crazy things can happen. So Florida avoided it. So, hey, 1-0. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that. And if you're if you're at this point in the podcast, um, you know, hang with us because I also have a conversation with uh, Kurt Weiler from the Tallahassee Democrat about Florida State. Um, we recorded it yesterday afternoon, Kurt and I, before they had lost to Pittsburgh. But Kurt is the beat writer for the Tallahassee Democrat covers the program along with uh, Wayne McGee. And I think they do a great job. So really interesting segment to stay tuned with, but first we'll start with our Gators 74 59 victory over the North Florida Ospreys. Uh, and, you know, like last time kind of first half, second half discussions. And, you know, I'm going to cheat a little bit uh, and say a tale of two halves kind of Eric. Yeah, I would I would say that's fair to say, and uh, especially I guess in the first game of the season, um, given that Florida has so many new pieces, uh, and you're just kind of shaking those, uh, shaking the rust off a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that uh, I would say that there's definitely a little bit of a feeling out process to start that first half. <laughs> um, and, and and yet, what was interesting is is that you know this mantra that a couple of the coaches tweeted out in the off season defense travels. I have lost you. Florida played excellent defense when they weren't making shots in the first half, for the most part. Sorry, Neil, I lost you there for quite a while. Oh no! Do you, do right. you hear me? I, I sorry, sorry to. No, no, you're good. I, uh, I, I do hear you. And okay. Okay, so I'm not sure what happened. I, I heard you say defense travels, and then I caught like the last word that you said like 30 seconds later. Oh, so I was making Sorry. fun of how everything now is cultural. Oh, okay. um, like how analysts like everything is cultural, but like defense actually is cultural, I think. And Florida, 
showed growth defensively from the Lynn game. I thought in the first half they did. Um, and I thought they played good defense in the first half for the most part, um, with the exception of they're still overhelping a little bit, I think. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, some kind of missed uh, missed rotations there that led to some uh, some open threes. Uh, defensively, though, I, I generally was kind of encouraged by some things such as, uh, uh, like I thought Omar Payne played pretty well, and I thought Jason Jatobo played pretty well defensively when he got in the game. Um, yeah. Honestly, one of the... Uh, the only thing that I kind of really noticed that that probably like bothered me defensively was was Kerry Blackshear's defense in pick and roll. Uh, there was just a, a multiple lapses from him, I, I would say. And um, there's and it was a few. There was one where him and Andrew Nemhart must have got their signals crossed a little bit because uh, Nemhart was totally trying to down the screen roll to to send him uh, t- towards Blackshear, and Blackshear was expecting the you know expecting Andrew Nemhart to send him the other way and it just led to a wide open layup and uh with Scotty Lewis guarding the ball handler and Scotty Lewis really fought over top of the screen did really well uh and Kerry Blackshear found himself in no man's land and uh allowed some really easy passes uh that ended up in open threes so uh, I thought Kerry Blackshear's pick and roll defense was uh was was maybe almost would say poor at times it definitely wasn't wasn't excellent uh, so there was that was one thing that I kind of noticed that was negatively negative defensively, uh, but overall there was some good moments and uh, yeah, also some first game of the year moments. Yeah, so I mean, I thought I thought definitely some of that. I also thought Blackshear had some really positive moments defensively, um, where he was able to use, you know, he was able to get out on the perimeter, use his hands to create turnovers on a couple different occasions. Um, showed us that that he can contest jump shots he could contest jump shots or little leaners in the lane without fouling a couple different times obviously it's north florida so you know but i think early in the year while we still figure out what's going on with korshak gack and not knowing when he'll be back and how much they can get i'm feeling a little better now having seen jatobo but certainly we want carrie to play without fouling as as much as as possible during this tough part of the early schedule because i really feel like this is the portion of the schedule where Florida is maybe going to be the most vulnerable to upsets while they're, while these young pieces are still coming together. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that uh, uh, the most experienced teams are kind of, kind of benefit in these, uh, these kind of early games. And um, once again, we'll, we'll talk about Florida state a little bit later, but there's a team like Florida state coming and they kind of historically uh, ha- have really thrived in these settings where, uh, where games get sloppy, whether it's early in the season or late in the season in short rest NCAA tournament kind of settings. Uh, so yeah, the, those things do not favor a team like Florida with a lot of pieces kind of coming together. Uh, but like, yeah, like you said, um, uh, it definitely seeing that uh, Jatobo I thought played well in his in his short minutes and Omar Payne look, and you know Dante Bassett was back um, healthy. He I would say looked quite healthy. He, he was uh, <laughs> definitely banging around the offensive glass a lot. So. So he looked good, and uh, yeah, it makes the Jacques injury, you know, look like they can they can manage for the time being. Yeah, really quality minutes from Dante Bassett, I thought, and kind of speaks to something we talked about over the summer that with Dante's energy and just his the way he plays, you know, so hard, 100 miles an hour all the time, it's like perfect for that eight man role. Um, so I thought a really positive uh, first game for for Dante I mean, first game for everybody but you know what I mean he didn't play in the scrimmage so um I thought that was really good another performance that I thought was kind of a bounce back performance and it started in the first half 
again, I, I do think that he is guilty of overhelping sometimes and kind of spazzy in the way that, that he plays help defense. But I thought really nice outing from Scotty Lewis. Yeah, I thought he definitely defended better. Uh, I, I really liked the way that he worked. Uh, like I kind of mentioned, uh, some it ended up in some some lapses because of, I think, Kerry Blackshear, though I'm not 100% sure. Maybe schematically someone did something wrong. But uh, the way that Scotty Lewis was working over top of, uh, of screens, I, th- I thought was really good. Uh, he had some blocked shots. I thought he's really good on that end. Um, uh, offensively, I-, I thought he had some tough moments. I thought he took yeah. some bad shots. Uh, just... Uh, some shots that I just don't really think need to be in his game. And that's the early jump shot off the dribble, like early in the clock. I'm, I'm saying, right. Uh, I thought those were not good looks. And then he had some decent looks, catch and shoot opportunities that, you know, barely grazed the front of the rim. So uh, not a great offensive performance though. He did have some good moments on offense where he was kind of playing the dunker spot on the, uh, the baseline, something you normally see from the big man. Uh, but we saw that from Scotty Lewis and uh, that's kind of where he looked comfortable offensively as someone who can, uh, just catch the ball near the rim and then use one or two dribbles and, and elevate. But uh, definitely um, uh, kind of relative to, you know, he's someone who's going to be a really impactful defender. We both didn't think he was that in the in the exhibition and he was much more of that uh, last night. So, or on Tuesday. So that was, uh, that was really good. Yeah. I mean, I think, and, and I, I think it's a good point you make about, about some of his uh, shots. Like I think 10 field goals is probably, not probably. I'll go ahead and have a, a firm take that doesn't require nuance. I think that's too many field goals for Scotty Lewis. Like, I don't want to see him with too many 10-shot nights early in the season until he demonstrates that he can maybe knock down, like, a three-point jumper off the catch a little more consistently. So I'm going to start with his defense, which I thought was sensational. I also love the way he rebounded. And I thought a couple of those were, like, pretty difficult rebounds, actually. And, and you know, he just – attack the ball, like has a really good understanding of, of when to jump, um, which is harder than sometimes harder than, than you think. Um, and you know, I, you know, if they're going to get nine and five, like I think at the end of the day, you'll take nine and five from Scotty on a, on a lot of nights. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I, I think that'd be great numbers from him. Uh, I just think um, he, he was really searching for that jump shot a few times. Um, he even, yeah. you know, missed, missed a dribble jump shot, you know, airballed it from one spot. The next time he got the ball dribbled down to the, the same spot and then missed another one. So, uh, I, yeah, I thought he hunted a little bit and, and that was kind of the difference between, you know, and obviously he ended up being four for 10. I mean, that's not a brutal night from the, from the field. Don't get me wrong, but he could have, you know, been four for eight. So, uh, that kind of really changes things. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, just to still see, I, I still like to, like, like you were saying, he was able to go get up, get on the glass and like really high point some balls. And then he, especially on the defensive glass. And then he turned up court and was able to push it immediately. Uh, and that's going to really go a long way in, uh, in getting some of these transition opportunities that, that were missed. So uh, that was, that was another encouraging thing from him. Yeah. And also I would add the last one I would add before we move on from, from Lewis love fest and not complete love fest, I guess, because we were both a little critical of his offense, but you saw glimpses of of why scouts like Scotty Lewis is a passer um, Tuesday night, I thought. Like, he made a couple of really difficult reads of defenses and just kind of clever passes that are high degree of difficulty passes. He gets two assists uh, in the process. But really, like, on three or four different possessions, I thought he made really quality passes um, and, and not dangerous. Kind of the 
the little glimpses we saw from Keontae Johnson last year, actually. Yeah, there's some really nice passes from from Scotty, and uh, especially the one that he kind of drove and dumped the ball into Keontae Johnson I, uh, for a dunk yeah. layup. I thought, I mean, I thought that was uh, really encouraging because I think that that's what what Scotty Lewis is going to need to do, just because he is one of the players that uh, the Gators are going to need to be be a bit of a slasher. Uh, and when teams kind of rotate properly, like, like North Florida did on a couple of those possessions, he made the right read, he made the right pass. So uh, that was really encouraging, and just to be able to. Uh, to get some of these, like, I mean, I, I would say last year, the best passer, you know, outside of Andrew Nemhart was, was Keontae Johnson, who, you know, we, we both really love his passing, but, but I mean, past that, like, uh, Kayvon Allen, not a great passer, J- Jalen Hudson, not a great passer. Uh, they didn't have a passer from the low block. There just wasn't a lot of secondary playmaking. And then uh, you look at this team where Keontae Johnson, you've had, got him back and uh, Scotty Lewis is a, a great passer. And then you've got Kerry Blackshin, who's a great passer. And suddenly the ball can get moved around the court with a lot more efficiency. Uh, so that was, uh, that's something that uh, makes me think that the offensive ceiling for this team is, is much higher than it was last year. Yeah, no, I mean, I would agree with that. And I, I think we're talking about it on a night where Florida admittedly did not shoot the ball well. They shoot 20% from three-point range. They they only shoot 42% from the field. Um, they, you know, shot the ball okay at the free-throw line. They had 18 free-throw attempts, which would have been uh, enough to be in the top 10 of their attempts last year in any game. Um, so, you know, maybe check a little box there for – because I didn't even think they got to the line as much as they're going to be capable of, but but they did. And then some of that's playing a veteran team that knows how to defend without fouling. Uh, my last point before I turn over to second half, Eric, and Eric can explain why Florida lost the second half again, uh, was Mike White praising Trey Mann's offensive talent. Really everything on display that, that he can do uh, on opening night, his creativity, his ability to get the basket, his ability to, to draw contact when he gets the basket, his ability to play out of the pick and roll, and, of course, the most important of all, his ability to bury the 19-foot floater after passing up a wide-open three. Yeah, he's really going to challenge the, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> my, my dislike of floaters for sure, just because, you know, he was able to knock down, uh, to, you know, to knock that down that one, and he's got some, he's shown that touch. He loves that shot. He loves the floater. <laughs> uh, so we'll see, we'll see once again a little sample size what he can do. Um, some people were tweeting at me uh, during the game about Florida's uh, floater count, as there were many. And yeah, the final count was two for eight on floaters. So that's, nice. you know, uh, 0.5 points per possession. Uh, not a very good shot. And guys were really hunting it. Uh, Noah Locke and Keontae Johnson, uh, <laughs> they were really hunting floaters. And those are not good shots to be hunting. But I've talked about that a lot. So, uh, but, you know, going back to Trey Mann, he, he is just so electric to watch. I, I just love watching him on the offensive end. And, and he just... Uh, he made a few offensive plays that I just don't think uh, anyone else on the team could make or, or would think to make. Uh, Scotty Lewis had a nice pass, kind of skip pass to him. And then uh, he had that to in the short corner where he just had a quick jab step that just really lost the defender. And then he smoothly hit a short corner jumper. And that was, uh, that was really nice. And I, uh, uh, he, the, the one thing I guess we didn't really see, like you said, he passed up um, that three-point look. Uh, his only three-point look, I think, was that one on the first possession of the game where he got a corner three right off the tip-off, and, and it didn't go in, but it was a, it was a good look. Uh, that might be the only thing we didn't see of his offensive arsenal, but I think we, uh, we know it's there. But, uh, and I also didn't think that Trey Mann forced anything. He was, he was one of the guys that I yeah. didn't think, um, you know, maybe didn't love the floater that he took, but he hit it. And uh, so I maybe didn't love that shot. But other than that, he, he really didn't seem to be in a hurry. And for someone with... 
uh, his kind of stark potential, his scoring ability on a night that Florida wasn't super crisp offensively. Uh, uh, some players with his talent would just start chucking, and he never did. So I thought it was pretty mature, uh, and uh, I, I, was, I was just very impressed with his game. So Florida takes a 17-point lead into the half against one of the more innovative offensive systems in, in among mid-majors uh, and a team that they ended up not starting five seniors. They started four seniors and a sophomore and then had a senior come off the bench as the sixth man. But I think North Florida is going to be pretty good. Um, and I thought Florida shot 34% and still led by 17 points, which is kind of where you, you, know, you, you take that almost any night, Eric. What what did you see in the second half that happened necessarily, you know, or did anything happen really that, you know, was it just the same kind of talk us through the second half a little bit? Yeah, well, I think in terms of just overarching why, you know, Florida didn't didn't win that uh, uh, that second half. Uh, I would just say like one, there was some there was some first game of the year against a mid-major opponent lineups. Uh, I definitely thought that there was some uh, some rotations that you just will not see it on Sunday against Florida State, uh, and you won't see a conference play. But he was, you know, White was getting everyone in. I think that's a wise choice and, and getting people some run. But uh, they had some some kind of misses there. Uh, and then uh, I also thought so in the first half, uh, going back to the first half, when they started the game really slow uh, offensively, it was kind of their regular motion offense that we saw. There was a couple different wrinkles out of it but I thought it was still generally a little bit of dribble drive four out motion uh, I didn't think it went particularly well um, the, the numbers would also suggest that and then to start the second half they went into a lot more of the Princeton look that uh, that they had at the end of last season and they got some really good looks out of it but they didn't fall just uh, yeah good looking shots open threes some shots at the rim uh, that it didn't fall and then they went away from it and um uh, then went back in the motion and then I don't didn't think it always looked great. So I thought that there was uh, some misses there. Uh, another thing that I thought really hurt them in the set. Well, I shouldn't say really hurt them. Uh, they won comfortably. One thing that <laughs> hurt them a little bit uh, was there was a lot of missed blockouts and that led to a lot of second chance opportunities yeah. for North Florida. Uh, and uh, they, you know, were able to hit some shots, but uh, yeah, so I, I definitely saw uh, some lapses in defensive rebounding. Uh, I watched the game for a second time this morning before the podcast and uh, really kind of with that, uh, let's look to see what happened. And uh, yeah, just a lot of missed blockouts. I thought, um, I, I thought Terry Blackshear actually missed a lot of blockouts. He, he actually, a lot of times the shot would go up. He would identify his man. He would go put his body into him and, and then he would take his body off. So he would identify the guy he was supposed to block out. He'd get there but he didn't hold the box out. And that led to a couple offensive rebounds. So it was like, you know, he was like 75% there. Uh, you know, look, identify a man, go to box out. He just didn't hold the box out. And that led to some offensive rebounds and uh, a couple wings as well uh, on North Florida, just really flying in and Florida's guards didn't identify it. Uh, just didn't realize that someone from the two or three spot was going to go in and attack the glass. And, uh, but yeah, what did you think about the uh, defensive rebounding from Florida? Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought there was some miscommunication just generally defensively in the second half, um, much more so than in the first half. And I thought that was kind of why Mike White talked about rotations a little bit and numbers and just kind of hinting at, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play 10 or 11 uh, moving forward. You know, we might shorten our bench already because um, I think – I think that's something that he – those are errors that he wants to correct because 
you know, certainly, and that's again, why I think defense is cultural, like a baseline expectation in Florida is we're not going to give up easy baskets near the rim. And I mean, that's an expectation at every program, but certainly, uh, you know, Florida has the statistical support to back up that being cultural, right, Eric? So, I, you know, that's, that's kind of a thing for me. Um, and, and I think that, you know, yeah, I mean, I also think UNF hit some shots with, by making extra passes. So I think some of it was, was the, the opponent. Um, yeah. I mean, I think so that that's kind of my reason for the drop off that Florida did turn the ball over more in the second half as well. Uh, which, you know, is a little concerning just cause they didn't play really like Eric alluded to. They didn't play particularly crisp offense in the first half. Then again, I think they ended up with 36 points in the paint, which that doesn't happen very often uh, around Gainesville last couple seasons. So, you know, I guess on the flip side, offensively, you could be encouraged that they really didn't play great offense, I don't think, and still ended up with a pretty good result. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you could even comfortably say Florida should have had, uh, like, conservatively six more points because Andrew Nemhart had two layups from his left hand just – totally spin off. And then Quez Glover had that time where he missed a layup, got his own rebound, uh, had the bunny and missed it. Uh, and then Kerry Blackshear had like a one really nice post up where the ball was halfway down and spun out. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's just eight points right there. And you know, like 82 is a lot nicer than, uh, than 74. And, uh, you know, you wipe four misses off the, the board or, you know, let's say five misses cause Quez Glover missed those two. Uh, and then you add four makes and suddenly they're, uh, their percentages are looking better. So uh, there's right. definitely a couple of those things and, you know, add a few more points in the paint. But uh, yeah, so that was, uh, that was something else that was definitely, you know, people were, uh, that was during the, uh, uh, you know, of course the Andrew Nemhard and Quez Glover uh, misses were the point where uh, Twitter started to fire Mike White about. Yeah, he got fired. Game, so, he got fired. So, that's, uh, so that's a thing. And, uh, but, but I mean, you know, Andrew Nemhart uh, gets to the rim really well. Uh, and misses some laps. You know, I, I, I think those are going to fall at, you know, any other game other than in the first one of the year. Uh, Quez Glover is playing in his first Division One regular season game. Uh, has a couple ones spin out. I hope the guys laugh about that. That's just like, that's just <laughs> funny for a freshman. It happens. Uh, but I, uh, once again, like, that's uh, take five misses off the board and put um, four makes on the board. Uh, that's a pretty good percentage swing right there. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um uh, you know, I wanted to get to a listener question, um, and I'm going to try to play it because it's one of those voice messages. And if you can't hear it playing, then I'll just repeat it to listeners. <laughs> All right. Omar Payne has been quite impressive to me. How far can he go? So this one, the question was from uh, Dwayne Denny. He asked, uh, he says, Omar Payne's been quite impressive in the first two games. Uh, how much is he capable of? Well, I think um, I'm not sure if he means maybe throughout his time at Florida or or just this year. I'll, I'll just say this season, just for I, <laughs> I guess ease um, relevant to this year. Uh, well, I mean, like right away, I, I think he could be Florida's best front court defensive option, uh, and I think he could do that at both the four spot or the five spot. And if he can do it at the four spot while playing next to Kerry Blackshear, uh, or I should say, when they've been on the floor, it's really been Omar Payne playing the five and and. Blackshear playing the four uh so would you but just playing alongside Blackshear he has the ability to cover up some of the uh some of the deficiencies Blackshear does have to his game and Blackshear covers up some of the deficiencies Omar Payne has on the other end because Blackshear's so good offensively so 
right there, I think that um, while we're talking, like, kind of what could happen this season, I, I could really see fl- one of Florida's best lineups being with Omar Payne on the floor. Uh, as well, uh, just li- like we saw against North Florida, the, the Gators really hammered the offensive glass, uh, and they kind of had some, some struggles on the defensive glass. Uh, you're going to want to see Florida continue to dominate the offensive glass while cleaning up the defensive glass. Uh, I thought Omar Payne did really, really well defensive rebounding and uh, on the offensive glass as well. So uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to put an exact number on his minutes or, or points or anything like that. Uh, but I would say that his, uh, I could really see one of Florida's best lineups this year, see being with uh, with Omar Payne playing. Yeah, I mean, I think I I think what's interesting about Payne is that it really diversifies Florida's bigs bench. Um, and, you know, because you combine kind of Payne's freakish athleticism and ability to offensive rebound and back tap and rim run with with what you get from Dante Bassett, which, to be quite honest, was, you know, in nine minutes he had six rebounds and, and two assists. Um, so, and a steal. <laughs> I mean, those are – that's a pretty productive nine minutes. He didn't score um, until he got – until he got – he didn't make any of his field goals, but he made his free throws, got fouled, so – I think you combine those two guys, and, and to Eric's point, uh, you create some really productive rotations, and you make life a little easier on Kerry Blackshear, who certainly had some issues defensively in his first game, although um, you know, I think it looks like he's probably a better defender than that when you watch him at Virginia Tech. He just might have had a strange night. Um, but anyway, so I, it's, a good, it's a good listener question, and, and you add whatever they're going to get from Jason Jatobo, and you're not even factoring in Gorzakiak, and, and Florida has genuine depth at a spot in the roster that Mike White was getting fired for a year ago. Yeah, yeah it's funny how, uh, how getting healthy will do that for you. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I am very encouraged by the front court. I, I, I also love that Florida just has the opportunity to play big. And uh, one thing I did think was actually interesting was, I, uh, Neil, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Florida ever played, like, small. Like, the smallest they – played was their starting lineup with Keontae Johnson at the four like I don't think right. Scotty Lewis ever played the four like I think that they kind of it was you know other than Keontae Johnson or Blackshear starting it was like Omar Payne and Blackshear or uh Jatobo and Bassett or Bassett and Payne or ba- like Bassett and uh the per- particularly difficult to distinguish is is Bassett and Jatobo on the floor but uh, uh together with uh with the with the sweatband but um, yeah, they really, they really were committed to playing big in a game where they could have played smaller and matched up that way. So I do think that's a bit of an indication that they're committed to playing big, which is uh, something that, yeah, I've talked about, I've wrote about, I, I, I'm personally a fan of. Yeah, no, and I, and I think it's something that they're going to need Sunday, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, so for uh, Stat That Defines the Night, uh, the, the segment we're going to do <laughs> during the season, um, I guess it kind of torn. I like went back and forth and you know, for me, I went back and forth between Andrew Nimhart's kind of like people were, there were a lot of people that were like, Oh no, he's bad at offense. Um, that that was one of the kind of hot take reactions. And I instead have decided to go with Omar Payne and just say that if, if you're going to have a, your debut where you get six points, five rebounds and assist and two blocks in 13 minutes, like, yeah, there are three turnovers. He fumbled a catch once that probably was another layup, speaking of ego, e- easy baskets. Uh, you know, but but that to me was the stat of the night. You could even combine his stat line and Bassett's stat line and say, 
ooh, look what happens when you have front court depth that's like in shape and healthy. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. That's a good one. Uh, I'll go uh, a little bit more of a, a team stat and. Uh, one thing that this is slightly analytical, uh, one thing that I thought was the, the fact that Florida really limited um, North Florida in transition. So they only had 10 possessions in transition. And I would say um, as a rough kind of guideline, most teams would average 17 to 20 and it would be about 20 percent of their shots. Uh, and especially for North Florida, that should be a lot higher. Uh, Florida limited them, limited them to yeah, only 10 possessions in transition, uh, which was 12.5% of their shots. And North Florida shot 28.6% on those shots. And uh, like we've talked about, like I've talked about, uh, transition shots are almost, are all, almost always, uh, the, they're one of the most like valuable shots. They're usually above a point possession, usually above 50% in the kind of field goal range. Uh, so the fact that Florida, one, limited their opportunities in transition, and two, defended those opportunities really well, uh, I thought was a big part of why they, uh, you know, when they were really on defensively and, and North Florida had that big drought, uh, it was because of their transition defense, which uh, wasn't always super there last year. So it was, uh, that was a good sign for me. I like it. And um, also 2,500 would be a good shout too. Shout out to the Rowdies for, uh, oh. for, be, for being loud and having some fun with one of the North Florida guards in particular. <laughs> Garrett. Garrett. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if Garrett, Garrett, Sam, Sams. Garrett Sams does not want to go back to a Zach Tick Arena anytime soon. <laughs> I would imagine that there was even a uh, a tweet for those of you that haven't seen. Uh, it was like, I guess someone in the Rowdy Reptiles just took video of Garrett all night of like bad things happening to Garrett and, and mashed it up. So it's like a Garrett Sam's mistake mashup. Um, highly encourage. It's a great watch. That is a good watch. I mean, he had some tough moments. I also thought he had some really good moments. Uh, obviously, he's one of the players that's kind of been to uh, been to Gainesville like three times or, you know, three straight years. So uh, the yeah. Rowdies have definitely got to know him. And uh, I don't know if there's a backstory or if they just, you know, picked a player, which sometimes the student sections do. But uh, I did think it was pretty funny. And uh, at least, you know, on the TV broadcast, not sure live, the uh, the echoist chants of, uh, of Garrett, Garrett, Garrett were, uh, were pretty hilarious. I loved it. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. We're going to skip Coach's Corner this week because we've talked about Kerry Blackshear's game um, quite a bit. But our segment was going to be on on Matt Driscoll's comments about Kerry Blackshear just kind of knowing who he is as a player. And I think that's – I don't know. I, that's something that Eric and I kind of talked about last year with, uh, with DeAndre. So I guess we're going to half skip it and just say, like, it's something we talked about last year with DeAndre Ballard a little bit and – you know, really like early in the season, I think we actually talked about it with Keontae Johnson of, of all people. And, and, you know, now it's like a stand podcast for him, uh, even though he got two quick fouls on opening night and took a seat. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's how players grow, right. Is, is understanding their limitations, being reflexive and, and uh, you know, just honing in on what, what they can do really well. Yeah. I mean, I really thought that this game was uh, just showed that Kerry Blackshear is very, dedicated to the success of the Gators just because um, there was definitely a part of me in the back of my head that was like, Kerry Blackshear is just going to launch eight three-pointers a game just to show that he can (laughs) for his pro prospects. Um, And I mean, he shot the ball well in the the exhibitions and and everything like that. So uh, I I definitely thought he's going to, he's going to, you know, just go and launch three-pointer over after three-pointer after Um, three-pointer. Like, I mean, that's, that's like, 
Florida has had really great success with graduate transfers. Um, a, a lot of other teams actually haven't. Um, and a lot of it is the guys that are trying to get into the NBA mix and really change their game to try to do that. Um, whereas, you know, Florida's had success with Canyon Barry and, and your Kulichov, who are, uh, were not guys that were super in the NBA picture. I mean, Canyon Barry got there because of a good season in Florida, but, uh, but anyway, so Blackshear is kind of different in a different place than those guys were. So, uh, yeah, the fact that he only shot one three pointer and it was a really good three pointer and he hit it, but didn't go and just keep launching others. He got down on the block, played in pick and roll, finished strong inside. Uh, I, I just really thought that that showed that he has a dedication to Florida winning and not a dedication to him trying to better his draft stock. And that is awesome for the game. Uh, really awesome. No. Yeah. For me, I mean, you could, one thing I could, you could tell, you know, cause we're not at practice every day. And one way to like see that on television was when Kerry Blackshear took a big tumble in the first half and like all four Gators on the floor ran to pick him up. Yeah, those are things you love to see. Uh, you, you definitely, uh, uh, kind of to see that camaraderie, to see that leadership. Um, yeah, it's it's that yeah for night one of the season for a group that has a lot of kind of new pieces. Uh, yeah, it seems like they're gelling well. We're gonna go around the SEC real quick first. I'm gonna take you out of the SEC though and ask Eric what Eric's thoughts are on uh, Eric. What are your thoughts on playing conference games on opening night so the ACC network can uh, have ratings? Because I think it's ridiculous, but I wanted your take. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't say it's ridiculous, honestly. I, I don't, and I know that like so many people do think, think it is. And I, I certainly understand why. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, trying to get some, some kind of more high, high profile games early. I, I, I get it. I get it for sure. I just also think that, um, you know, in terms of your league settings, the fact that you're going to have some kind of one solitary game a few months at, then at a different time, then, uh, uh, then the rest of your conference schedule, I just the fact like weighing those games similarly is is really weird to me. Uh, but yeah, so I'll say I don't find it entirely ridiculous, only somewhat ridiculous. But I certainly see why why just, the, uh, seen as stupid. Yeah, I mean it, it bothers me for the mainly for the second reason. Uh, I also think that like feast week and the week before that, when they have all these November tournaments, does plenty to get attention on the sport, as did. You know, the opening night out of conference mashups, like I get it. it it's a one-time deal probably because ACC Network just kicked off. But, man, it, it felt silly to watch, like, the defending national champions play a road game on opening day in conference. Like, that's just weird. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully – all I'll say is that hopefully it goes the way of the uh, aircraft carrier games and and it it is dead. Um, one thing that's not dead is Tony Bennett and the Virginia Cavaliers winning games when they don't score 50. Yeah, they just absolutely <laughs> squeeze the life out of Syracuse. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, just, just to uh, imagine that few points being put on the board. 38, I think it was, for Syracuse. I don't have the score in front of me. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, 40, that was 48-34. Or, sorry, yeah, 48-34, by the way. They actually had a pretty – yeah, that's a pretty large, you know – uh, winning margin for only scoring that many points. I mean, uh, I, I just always think that uh, those Syracuse teams, I, I, they're, they're you know notoriously pretty bad offensively, and uh, against a Virginia team that I also I also think Virginia lacks a little bit, you know, offensive punch this year. So if like, yeah, I don't think that they could double down on defense any more than they like have in the past. But I also see their talent. And I'm like, wow, they might have to like 
somehow be more dedicated to defense than one of the most defensively de- dedicated teams, but it looks like maybe they were. Yep. No, I agree with all that. So we, uh, we go around the SEC now. I'm just going to drop some scores and we'll get, we'll get some hot takes from uh, Eric who I, you, we all know delivers the hot takes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Everybody's listening. is probably like, man, Neil's in a mood today. Um, Kentucky. That was really impressive. Uh, Tyrese Maxey is really good. Yeah. Very impressive. Uh, I, this kind of like, I was also glad that Kentucky won. Cause like, uh, while, like my view on Kentucky probably isn't any different than it was before that game. Uh, whereas my Michigan state take is also like, I've, I've never thought Michigan state was as good as, as people thought, like when their identi- identity is so much tied into uh, the big men that they lost and they lost them and didn't really replace it with a ton of substance. I just like totally understand why they just lost. I still thought that they would win just because they have uh, more returning pieces and veterans than Kentucky does. So on night one of the year, uh, I thought that they were going to, uh, yeah, I thought that maybe they'd, uh, they'd be out there better than the, the new group at Kentucky. But, uh, yeah, I, I just uh, – I would say this is very encouraging for the, for Florida fans and also the SEC because uh, for the SEC to get that win uh, is pretty big. And I still think Florida's better than Kentucky. So if uh, Kentucky's better than Michigan State, I mean, use some transitive property or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is is in ridiculous preseason form. Um, yes. Auburn narrowly escapes Georgia Southern, and like I actually watched twenty minutes of this game, and like I mean, man, uh, you talk about a team that missed its like three stars. Uh, you know, they they got it together. Let's leave it at that. They got it together. They got out of there. Nothing terrible happened. Uh, Georgia Southern is not good at basketball, though. Yeah, I, I didn't watch this game, uh, but just uh, seeing that uh, they just uh, – for a team that, once again, was so reliant on the three-point shot and the have to go away from that, um, yeah, I just uh, – looks like they might not be as good as, as I personally thought. But, hey, again, one-game <laughs> sample size, we'll see. Uh, but that was uh, – yeah, Georgia Southern was a team that I didn't expect a, a ton from here, and they uh, they played well. Yep. Um they, they did play well. Georgia was trailing West Carolina, uh, Western Carolina, and halftime. They rallied to win. Um, and a little bit like the UNC Notre Dame game, although, like, obviously against a lesser opponent and in a game that no one was watching as opposed to a game that most people were watching, it was really all about Anthony Edwards in the second half. Yeah, I mean, Georgia was a, was a team that struggled in their, their uh, preseason exhibition. It was some against Charlotte, something that uh, – uh, someone was was tweeting me about that was at the game live, and then uh, I thought that yeah, just to see that they uh, they had a bit of a tough one against Western Carolina. Uh, they kind of really struggled too with uh, some of the. There's a player named Carlos Dotson I really like at Western Carolina, who's just like probably like six five, but like two eighty, and just was carving out space on the inside and and causing problems. But yeah, also Anthony Edwards showed why he is so good and why I think he's the the best freshman in uh, in the country this year. In the game that everyone will overreact to, except for Neil and Eric, space and pace. Arkansas beats Rice by like 112. Um, and I, I look forward to Arkansas receiving votes in the top 25 poll this week. And I love Isaiah Joe. I think he's fantastic. I still don't think they're going to be very good. Yeah, this one I, I will maybe have to try to watch. Uh, but just because I <laughs> – 
but uh, yeah, I just uh, I'd be interested to see uh, see exactly what uh, what transpired here. But hey, good for good for Arkansas. Good for them to get uh, get a win like this and and really show the. Uh, I, I'm just really interested how they scored after watching how Musselman's team played teams played offense in Nevada. I'm really interested to see what they did. So I might have to report back after watching this one. Yeah, we'll let you report back on Mason Jones' 32 points. Yeah, and, and we'll figure out like <laughs> how they got. Basically, what happened is they got 56 on 60 percent shooting from Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe. But uh, I mean, <laughs> if that happens all the time, they're going to be awesome. Uh, the other two games that I wanted to talk about, Miss State beat a pretty bad FIU team, pulled away in the last two minutes. Uh, Reggie Perry was like a dominant force in that game, though. I watched about 15 minutes of that one um, this morning and was like, man, Reggie Perry's really good. We should have talked about him more. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that he does lack a little bit of like, he just lacks a little bit of that like flash that like, really commands your your attention sometimes which uh is you know unfortunate for him who plays that that style of play that isn't gonna yeah. get the same the same uh publicity like that kind of defensive uh minded uh uh play without a lot of offensive upside all the time uh which yeah this doesn't get you the attention you deserve unless you're a kentucky point guard so uh but yeah he's someone that uh, that's going to be a, a force for that team and then the last one, I got a text from uh, a buddy who covers the SEC who, who wished to remain anonymous, but Blake um, Lovell could or could not be who. And <laughs> and and uh, he said, I don't know if South Alabama is better than Alabama, but he said basically like the word out of Tuscaloosa is that NATO has a lot of work to do. And okay, that was before they lost to Penn, and Penn is good. I, I think Eric, man, I'm glad. Like we talked about, we talked up the Ivy on the last show, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> but still a tough debut, a tough debut for Nate Oates. Yeah, I'm, I'm still someone, you know, like I wasn't. Uh, I, I really like Nate Oates is someone that I thought I really liked as a mid-major coach. I'm not like super sure how his style will translate to the SEC uh, or yeah. just uh, you know higher levels of basketball, uh, and uh, to just to see them play Penn and just launch three-pointer after three-pointer uh, <laughs> and eventually just not hit enough. Uh, if you're just going to play that style where you're rolling the dice 40 times a game, uh, you're going to run into a team like Penn who's going to play a little safer brand of basketball uh, and you're going to lose. So well, I, I didn't think it was like a terrible performance per se. Like I think the Penn team is, is good and is uh, probably going to end up in the RPI or, or like a Ken Palm or a net ranking that's like uh, – on par with a lot of the like lower middle tier power conference teams. So uh, I, I wouldn't say I like, yeah, I didn't think this Alabama team was brutal or anything, uh, but they just play a style of game that's leaves a lot of variation and the opportunity to, uh, to lose the teams that maybe aren't quite as talented as you. So uh, whether Nate Oates kind of tweaks that, or if he really kind of doubles down on it, uh, that'll be kind of my, what I'll be watching for. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. So we're going to move on to, um, Another thing I think is totally fair, which is it's time for Mike White and Florida to beat Florida State. Um, and I think they'll have the opportunity to do that. Well, obviously, they'll have the opportunity to do that Sunday. Um, I think they can beat Florida State. I watched Florida State last night. They looked very much like a team that has is replacing six of their top eight scorers. Um, 67% of their offensive productivity uh, is gone, either to graduation or the NBA. And – 
they were really searching for it on offense last night. That's not to say that they're not a dangerous team, but my initial thought was it might be a team that's really good to play in early November, which interestingly I'd also say about the Gators, but that's another story. It's not I, – I think getting FSU now is is a big deal. Yeah, I, I – It'll be interesting because what has happened kind of historically with these early season games with Florida State is like when when shots are being missed by both teams because it's kind of early in the, the season, uh, the team that's and, and things get kind of sloppy. Uh, it's a team that has that's like bigger and more athletic that can get more turnovers and more rebounds. They often win. And that's kind of what's happened in these Florida State matchups. Uh, but yeah, this, this like Florida state looked so bad last night. Uh, I just watched the game just before this podcast again, um, just, uh, Penn or Pittsburgh was, was not good. Uh, Florida state was not good. Uh, I just was, I was someone who's actually quite high on Florida state. It was a I tough watch. Should have been, yeah. I, I thought Florida state should have been uh, in the top 25. Uh, I do not think that anymore clearly um yeah. this is not like this is not pittsburgh being better than i thought this is florida state just really struggling i mean uh, it started like trent Forrest. if you look at his stat line it's gonna end it actually ended up being really good like 19 points on efficient shooting uh watching the game uh i mean he forced up some bad shots and he missed some wide open shots and uh turned the ball over in a couple terrible ways and i mean uh like pittsburgh was like really daring him to shoot and there was there was two moments where they were uh Trent Forrest had the ball just at the top of the key and they were literally sitting back on the free throw line daring him to shoot the three-pointer because earlier in the game he had chucked up a couple bricks that had Pittsburgh cheerleaders ducking for cover as if the stanchion was going to fall down and uh, so they're daring Trent Forrest to shoot and then he just like was kind of dribbling and went to put it through his legs and dribbled it off his knee for a turnover with just not a Pittsburgh player within six feet of him. So there's some tough moments for Trent Forrest. He, he actually had, he had some tough buckets late to to kind of keep things tight, but um, yeah, they're just, they do not have a lot of creation on the wings. I I thought that defensively, they they still looked very strong and they uh, they've got some really good pieces on the defensive end and there'll be a challenge for Florida to score, but just offensively, not a lot going on there. Yeah. They really did struggle even on the last possession um, of the game to, to Eric's point. I mean, Pitt collapsed down to prevent Trent Forrest from putting his head down and going to the basket. And it was funny because the announcer was like, go to the hoop. And I was like, that's exactly what Pitt didn't want him to do. And so he pulled up and took like a 16-foot jumper after passing up a three where he kind of hesitated. Oh, should I go to go for the win? I probably won't make that. Let me get a little closer, Brick. So, um, you know, and then, they, of course, Patrick Williams got the offensive rebound anyway because they had a second, but but he couldn't get the uh, the shot back up. They are good defensively, and that was the one like red flag. If you're a Gators fan, was like there were some I've seen this movie before moments where like possessions descended into total chaos, and FSU came out with the ball and was like running the other way with some freakish athlete, whether it's Patrick Williams or, or uh, Raekwon Gray, who's just ridiculous. Who <laughs> like I think he's. Pr- like if I was trying to figure out who their second best ball handler was, Eric, and I think <laughs> it it might be Raekwon Gray, who's six foot eight and two hundred sixty pounds. Yeah, there might be something to it. I mean, I thought he he was kind of one of the the better players. I thought Devin Vassell was uh, a better version of a scoring wing than than Trent Forrest. <laughs> yeah, know, he can yeah, go hot. I don't know. Trent Forrest, yeah, he Trent Forrest. His line looks good, but I I didn't really think he played very well. Except he he came through clutch at the end, but. 
not quite enough, but not quite enough clutch. But uh, yeah, I, I just think that Florida State is a team that just thrives in these games that are played ugly. Um, Florida has not been a team that has really thrived when games get ugly, and that's why the matchup has been lopsided. Uh, but uh, I really thought that the way they played uh, defense against Pitt was was pretty interesting because uh, in the past, they've really got out and, and pressured one pass away, just made it really tough to run offense. Like, look at the game that Florida opened the season with against them last year. Uh, Florida State just did not allow them to play offense. They just pressured every passing lane and said, hey, Andrew Nemhart, in your first collegiate game, you're going to have to beat an elite defender <laughs> one-on-one if you're going to score. Uh, they're, just, they're not going to allow the ball to move around the perimeter. So, uh, But against Pitt, they actually did the opposite and really sat in the paint and said, hey, we're going to let you pass one pass away into a three that we're going to contest. Uh, they really kind of played the inverse of what uh, we're used to seeing. So I'm interested, like, Pittsburgh is not a team that shoots the ball well. Uh, they'll probably have more respect for Florida doing so. But I, I am interested to see if it's uh, if they do this, like, pack it into the paint, let's take Kerry Blackshear out of it and see if Florida can hit jump shots. Or if it's, uh, hey, we don't want Noah Locke and Trey Mann uh, just, you know, taking open threes. Uh, let's try to pressure passing lanes and, and let's see if Andrew Nembhardt, uh can beat us one-on-one to, uh, to get offense. Yeah, I think it's going to be the latter. And then the other thing that, that you know, you have to keep in mind is that they know they know Kerry Blackshear. Um, you know, they've, they've dealt with him. They've played him. Now, obviously, a little different group of bigs than, than we're accustomed to them, uh, them rolling with, I suppose. Uh, they do think they're going to get uh, Dominic Lesniak back, who Gators fans will remember. Um, for having some success against Florida in an unfortunate Florida loss a couple seasons ago, his transfer from Ole Miss. Um, that probably makes them even tougher inside because then they can rotate seven footers. The other one is uh, they're another one of their top 100 recruits because they signed a really good recruiting class as well. Uh, Balsa Copa Ficha, who played with Omar Payne and Andrew Nimhard at Montverde. Um, I guess definitely actually played with Nimhard for sure. And then played with Payne last year. I don't think he played with both of them at the same time because Omar transferred in, right? But still, uh, you know, they, they still have the like big bodies. I mean, we talked about Raekwon Gray. We talked, we didn't talk about Malik Osborne. He's the guy they have. But yeah, I mean, they're they're gonna challenge Florida on on with their defense and and hope to get out in transition, which has been their formula to beat the Gators. If it gets to a half court game, they really need Devin Vassell and then MJ Walker. Uh, the 6'5", former McDonald's All-American, uh, who is just still figuring it out, isn't he? Um, to hit shots, and, and MJ did not do that against Pitt, and so they lost. Yeah, like the uh, the smallest player on Florida State is Raekwon Evans, who that or you know the smallest player that is that got minutes last night for Florida State was six foot four, two ten Raekwon Evans, who played two minutes um, out of their rotation of guys that like really played the smallest player was six foot four, 210 pound Trent Forrest. So Ooh. they do really play quite long throughout the lineup, uh, you know, six. Uh, so they don't have that, you know, they didn't play the only seven footer they like put out was Copervica for six minutes, but so they didn't have that kind of traditional, just like, and he fouled out Chris Kamaji. Yeah. But they, <laughs> uh, they just have, you know, six foot nine, six foot eight, two sixty, uh, six, seven, six, five, six, five. Or you know, like so, there. Uh, how Florida manages those kind of uh, matchups, how Florida manages whether they want to be switching or, or not, uh, what they kind of do there, uh, that'll be uh, an interesting rotation kind of choice. And 
uh, also just kind of relative to what, uh, uh, what coach white was talking about in terms of if he's going to shorten the rotation up right away or, or what that, uh, that'll be kind of one of the things that's interesting just because uh, Florida state does play really big. Uh, they're looking to just make the game ugly and get more rebounds in the Gators come up with more loose balls and, and score in transition. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. And, um, so, you know, their other freshman, Patrick Williams, I talked about him a little bit, a little bit like, I don't want to compare, like he's three inches bigger than Scotty Lewis, at least two inches bigger. Um, but they, they profile in, in similar ways because they both have just ridiculous athleticism and they're both kind of locked down defenders first. Uh, you know, they, they FSU can put several elite defensive players on the floor. Is, I guess the point I'm trying to make, including Forrest, who for all his struggles offensively, I think is one of the best on-ball defenders in college basketball. Yeah, he really is. Uh, he made things tougher for like Trey McCowan, who's I would say, you know, entering this game with Florida State, uh, I would say is, you know, probably maybe the best uh, player on Pittsburgh. Uh, he did not play like that. He uh, had like he ended up with 10 points. Uh, he got some free throws late in the game uh, that kind of salvaged his point total. But he had six turnovers, uh, really just really struggled. And Trent Flores made things very tough for him. And uh, once again, I mean, the way that Florida, Florida State just uh was playing in tight, and then if anyone got anywhere near the paint, they were just absolutely swarming them, uh, forcing forcing them to make a skip pass over the top, and then uh, banking on their length and their athleticism to have everyone float to that side of the floor and uh, and close out and, and do the same thing over again. Uh, it's just yeah, it's it, it looks a little bit frantic, and I I think some people that's what uh, we'll say like oh it's just Florida State being long and athletic, they don't play a structure. Um, they keep it frantic, but I, I think it's a little bit of controlled chaos defense. Yeah, I, I do think it's it's pretty effective, uh, and uh, could you know Florida uh, could have kind of struggles with that. I think it, it definitely is controlled chaos, especially because like another guy like they, that they put out last night just to stop um, Xavier Johnson, who I think is probably Pitt's second best player, was was Anthony Polite, and he did a really nice job. I mean, Xavier Johnson's a guy that. I think if you ask Jeff Capel what he expected of Xavier Johnson, he'd probably say 15 to 20 points. And, and you know, Xavier ends up with 13, but it was a hard 13. I mean, they can really uh, they can really de- defend. And when they do that, I think the other thing that, that we should talk about is that that allows them to kind of – they control tempo with their defense almost. Yeah, they do, uh, especially – like I was saying, like – uh, against the Gators last year, they really tried to make it tougher for the Gators to run offense and also just really um, uh, sped things up by really pressuring and and making the ball handler have to do something with the ball. They weren't just going to let them sit there and dribble, where against Pitt they said, hey, we're going to pack the paint and we're going to make you sit and dribble and move the ball around the perimeter. So uh, they can kind of do things either way. And uh, then they can also, like you said, get out in transition once they rebound. And they can also take other teams out of transition uh, by really attacking the glass and making everyone come back to try to defensively rebound, which takes away your transition opportunities. Yeah, only three uh, – sorry, only four teams in the top 20 played faster than Florida State last year. Uh, Duke, North Carolina, LSU. I do these things really just so Eric can, and I can nerd out a little bit. But uh, LSU, Kansas, UNC, and Duke were the only four teams that played faster than Florida State. Of those teams, only North Carolina had similar bench usage. So you get the idea of how you can play that type of defense and then speed things up through your defense. 
that's what they want to do. They don't change their identity on the road either. And in fact, I think it works better when you travel. Um, but I also think they're going to be playing a team that's better than Florida, that's better than Pitt Sunday, uh, at least certainly from a talent standpoint. And I really think the arena should be jacked. Yeah, I'd certainly hope so. Uh, the sun, yeah. Sunday afternoon kind of game like that uh, against Florida State. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And I think if Florida can come uh, come get some early buckets and, and get the crowd into it, you know the Rowdies are going to be into it. But if you can get the uh, the fans who might have PTSD from these kind of other <laughs> recent losses to, to Florida State, get them into it, uh, things will be in good shape just because – uh, yeah, just this is if ever a te- if, if ever a year to, to break this streak, playing at home, playing against this Florida State team that's not as strong as they've been in the past, coming off of a loss with Florida having their most talented roster of recent history. Uh, it, this one would be, uh, you know, like if Florida lost, it wouldn't be like, wow, how did they lose to the team? Florida State's still good. Um, while they didn't show it last night, uh, it, it still would definitely, definitely stink. Yeah, I mean, look, when you're looking at a one or a two seed, when, when, you, when you say, hey, we can be a one or a two seed, this is not a game you need to lose. They're, not, they're good, but this is the type of eight, nine seed you got to profile and say, well, we, we should beat them at home. So I think big game for Mike White and his staff. I'm sure they know that. They never admit it out loud. Actually, maybe this staff would, but like they need to beat Florida State too, like just you know, to get that monkey off their back. Um, you think they get it done? Uh, I do. I do predict to win. Uh, I think that uh, I think it's a tough matchup for the Gators, but I think home court is big. And I think that after uh, seeing what what uh, what Florida State did uh, against Pittsburgh, uh, I, that certainly makes me uh, a little more positive about Florida's chances. Even though I yeah, even though I don't think Florida was particularly crisp in, in night one. Um, I also just discovered I was just looking at their uh, how their possessions broke down offensively. Um, 33% of Florida State's shots were from the pick-and-roll ball handler where they just set an on-ball screen and set that person out to uh, uh, to go do kind of uh, get a shot, whether it be driving towards the hoop or, uh, or shooting a three. And what actually happened was um, out of the 26 possessions that they ended up uh, doing that, they got fouled on nine of them, which I just Ooh. do not think is going to happen against the Gators. And you take those points off from the charity stripe and – uh, I think the Florida State's uh, offense is going to look even worse. So, uh, yeah, I like things for the Gators. All right, I'm going to pick the Seminoles. Um, break everybody's heart. So, uh, I just I think there's something mental about this game, and I don't think Florida gets over the hump Sunday. It's just a gut feeling I have. Uh, Kerry Blackshear is 0-3 and has, or has lost his last three to Florida State as well. Um, although, it should be noted that in his last game against Florida State, he, the guy was an absolute monster. Um, it just, it didn't matter. It was, uh, the Seminoles were just in the, in the end were a little too much for, uh, for the Hokies, both the games he played against them last year went to overtime. Um, I expect a similar deal here. Give me an overtime game and give me MJ Walker with about 30 points, um, to lift the Noles. Wow. Uh, I have one more just question for you. Uh, looking at how Florida played their first game. Uh, where they played primarily their kind of motion offense and didn't play a lot of their kind of structured sets. Uh, how do you kind of view uh, that kind of offensive play selection uh, kind of through the lens of what they should do against Florida State? Uh, I mean, I, I'm with you. Like, I know they lost the second half points-wise, but I thought things flowed quite a bit better 
with the starters and like the rotation I would envision playing in a close game um, in the second half when they incorporated some more of the Princeton concepts. And I hope that they, you know, that that's something that we see the staff revisit a little more. Yeah. Something I've been thinking about over the off season is I kind of watch these motion teams. And uh, as I was kind of coaching my high school team, uh, just kind of like how you score playing motion offense. The more I watch kind of film kind of like a rule that was a little bit in my head. I, I don't know if it's exactly uh, entirely accurate quite yet, but kind of anecdotally, I, I think when you play motion offense, you need at least two or three advantage situations created on each possession. If you're going to score, huh. like you need to, you need to get by one, you know, you need one player to get by his man, create an advantage situation. They kick it out. That person attacks a closeout creates an advantage situation and either gets a shot for himself or kicks it out again. Like that's a lot of what you need in motion offense. It's not one advantage situation. It's two at least. And I don't know if Florida can consistently get two advantage situations per offensive defense uh, possession uh, against this Florida state defense. I don't know if that makes sense to everyone listening. I hope it does, but uh, just Florida state is still the superior athletic team. And I don't think Florida has uh, quite the roster, quite the guys that can, uh, really just say, hey, let's go uh, these kind of one-on-one attacking closeout situations against Florida, against Florida State and, and score exclusively that way. So I, I do think they'll need to play a little bit more structured, uh, play through some kind of more of these set-based things and uh, uh, and these prints and concepts. Yep, I think teams that, that are, are wing-heavy and that, this, that are this kind of big and athletic are still going to be the teams that give the Gators the most trouble, which is why I'm picking the Seminoles to win. RIP my mentions. Uh, <laughs> Please come back and listen to our next show uh, when I when I apologize to everyone after the Gators win, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's our show. Everybody enjoy the uh, Kurt Weiler segment. Stick around to to listen to that um, because I think Kurt has a lot of extra insight on Seminoles basketball. And we will be back um, after uh, we'll be back next week before the Towson game. Joining us today to discuss Florida State basketball, I think uh, one of the one of the best kept secrets in college basketball is that even a thing you can say about an ACC school is uh, Kurt Weiler from Tallahassee Democrat, uh, Knoll Sports, back to back Sweet Sixteens for Florida State. Um, whether it's because they're they're a quote unquote football school or, or because the Gators are in the same state and have won national titles or whatever the reason. Is, is Leonard Hamilton's sustained run of excellence getting enough credit? And thank you for, for joining us, first of all. Um, I think he's finally starting to. I mean, he did this before where I think they made four consecutive NCAA tournaments from, I think, 2009 through 2012. That's when I was actually I was a student at Florida State around that time. So I wasn't on the media side yet. But this would be four years, too. This would tie the longest consecutive like NCAA tournament streak in program history if they did again this year. I think he's starting to around FSU. I think, I mean, I think the recent problems on the football side have kind of put more eyes on the basketball side. The basketball side with the success. I mean, you mentioned back-to-back Sweet 16s and Elite Eight two years ago. Basketball has really taken advantage of the opportunity that presented itself. And I, I, I think Florida State remains and probably always, to a sense, will be a football school. But 
there's no doubt. I think right now you can make the case, especially with the fun brand of basketball they play, this is as much a basketball school as FSU has maybe ever been. Yeah, they are a fun team, and it's kind of it's almost been. I don't want to say they've changed styles or anything, but you know, you always knew that Leonard Hamilton teams would defend. The last couple years, perhaps their tournament success has been that they are a little more balanced. Uh, the season that starts tonight, though, uh, obviously Florida State starts in conference, which is really weird. I, you know, I know that has to do with the ACC network, but they're replacing six of their top eight scorers and a guy in Terrence Mann that Leonard Hamilton called one of the best leaders he's ever coached. How daunting a challenge is that? And 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 what do you think it says about Florida State? and where they are right now that people still like the team, despite those personnel losses. Oh, I I mean, you mentioned the, what, I think it's six of the top eight you mentioned. I think they're losing, I think 67 to basically two thirds of their points off last year's team are gone. Uh, I mean, it's, it's significant. I think you're looking at this team now as not a team that if everything breaks right, could probably is, is not likely to contend in the ACC, which obviously that's a very high bar to clear. Right. The bar's a little different, but I mean, you mentioned it. It's a testament to that Florida State lost so much and they're still pretty widely regarded as a tournament team to a varying degree. I think some people I've seen as high as like a five seed and I'm not sure I'm there. I've seen some people maybe more around the nine, 10, but even it feels like the worst case scenario, people have them as like a bubble team that I think a lot of people think are on the good side. I mean, it's a testament to what Leonard Hamilton has built here that you're, you lose that much. And for a lot of teams, a lot of programs, that would be something tough to deal with. And you would enter the year like, I'm not sure this is a tournament team. And we'll see how things play out. I don't think this is a surefire tournament team because injuries or things like that can happen. But if I were a betting man, I think this is a team that's, again, a tournament team. And I mean... It's a testament to what they – I think a big thing is what they've developed and the players they – and, I mean, obviously recruited, bringing in a couple pretty highly touted recruits who are going to make instant impacts like Patrick Williams, I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. I, I, who's the hardest guy to replace? Is it is it man? Is it is it man in the leadership? Is it Cabangali just because he kind of gave them something different that they hadn't had? Uh, I would say it's probably Terrence because, I mean, you mentioned the the leadership that Terrence brought and that Terrence is that guy you look at as a true seminal. And he's the guy who really embodied what Leonard Hamilton looks like of a guy who does it all. He was the guy who always got looked to. And, I mean, you're seeing shades of it early in his NBA career, and he really did himself some favors with a strong senior season in really getting himself drafted. It wasn't a sort of thing coming into his last year he'd get drafted, and he's playing a little bit for the Clippers now with, with Fiondu Cabangeli. But he just – Leonard Hamilton always called him the stat stuffer type where he might have a very quiet eight or nine point night, but he's the guy who also has nine rebounds, which is a lot for his size and had a bunch of assists. And he really just embodied Florida state and what's made them successful of late. That being said, I think they feel good about some guys they have to kind of fill that role. I think Trent Forrest coming into his senior year is a similar guy where he is a very good point guard. He defends very well. He attacks the rim. Well, He's another guy who could really put himself into that draft conversation with a strong senior season, maybe rounding out his game a little. So it'll be interesting to see because I think a lot of people are pretty high on Trent now fully healthy after he kind of played through some injuries last year. And I wanted, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because Forrest definitely played through some, some pain last season. But, you know, I saw Jay Billis call him the best on-ball defender in the ACC and was kind of like, what? Uh, how good is Trent Forrest? Oh, he's, I mean, 
the, how, the level he was able to play at and the minutes he was able to play last week, he was going through a, a rough toe injury. He, it wasn't like, it wasn't a secret. It was pretty well known. It was, I mean, treatment before and after every game, that kind of thing. Really tough to push through. And yet he gave you the role he did. I, it's a crazy thing to think about. I'm not entirely sure I would make that claim. I think Trey Jones at Duke is another guy who's in that uh, conversation. But Trent is no doubt in the conversation. He's the kind of guy who you put on another team's best guard and you trust him to win a one-on-one matchup and not let that guard consistently beat him. If a, if a team is really guard heavy or led by a guard, you trust Trent to really limit what they're able to do. He's not a guy who's going to let them take over. And he also, I mean, he's impressive at attacking the rim. He's a pretty creative passer. A big thing he really needs to add this year, and we've seen glimpses of in the preseason exhibitions, is a little more of a jump shot. He, like Terrence coming into his last year, uh, defenders can kind of, in the past, have been able to give him a little space, and it makes it harder for him to get by them because they're giving him space because they don't trust him to take a three, to take a long two mid-range jumper type shot. He showed a little more willingness and kind of broke out a couple moves that might show growth in that regard this season. That would go a long way towards really opening up his game at the offensive end even more, but his, his biggest asset on the offensive end might be how he's a facilitator for others. How much, you know, we, we've seen, uh, obviously there's a lot of attention on Florida's recruiting class and, and for good reason, but, but the Seminoles, as you mentioned earlier, another excellent class. What's the belief inside the program about, about where, you know, Patrick Williams upside is and, and what's reasonable to expect right now? Cause I think this is a debate we're having in Gainesville with Scotty Lewis, like, you know, this might be a player that is already in the NBA when he figures out how good he can be. Uh, it's interesting. Patrick Williams is a very good recruit, like in the top 25-ish range, not quite in the Scotty Lewis realm. That's kind of another threshold. I mean, there are going to be some growing pains, as there are for just about every true freshman, unless their name is Zion Williamson. <laughs> but a big thing that has been instantly, like we, we've heard and now seen about Patrick Williams his athleticism, he's a freakish athlete, jump out the gym, got ups for days type guy. Even if there are some growing pains in kind of the defense Florida State wants to play with, the fast tempo Florida State's going to play with, the running within the offense, finding his role, he's going to be an instant impact guy simply because of how freakish an athlete he is. And that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. He's the type of guy could very well be a one-and-done, but I'm not completely convinced you know you're only getting him for one year. You look at, like, a a comp would be like a Dwayne Bacon, where FSU got him for two years before he went on to the NBA. It's possible Patrick Williams fits into more of that role. He's not a a pure, I'm-not-here-to-play-school, pure one-and-done guy, but it's a... Tonight will be an interesting test seeing kind of how big his role is. There's no doubt the uh, the playing time is there with how many guys they lost for him and for uh, Balsa Koprovica, the other big freshman they brought in. Yeah, I wanted to – Koprovica was where I was going to go next. That Obviously, um, the the latest in a number of, of seven-footers for, uh, for Florida State, but a guy maybe with more offensive upside than, than we've seen from FSU Biggs. More offensive upside, absolutely, and more polished. I think you look at Florida State has had those bigs, but it's felt like even if they've played as freshmen, those bigs have needed time. You look at the Michael Ojos, you look at the Boris Bojanovskis, you look at the Chris Kumajis more recently, he just graduated. They're all the seven-plus footers, and they all need, they played as freshmen, 
sparingly because they weren't ready for for quite significant roles. And Balsa's not all the way polished. He's not going to come in and be a guy who can give you double-digit points probably or or that big of a role right away. But he's definitely ready. I mean, you mentioned the offensive. I think they like his his offensive upside a lot, and I think they also like what he can do as a as a rebounder. He he's been he only played in the second exhibition, but he very aggressive, really asserting himself well, which has been another problem with those FSU uh, big freshmen. And another thing working in his favor uh, is another new guy to Florida State, but not a new guy to college basketball is Dominic Olejnichuk. They brought in, he's an Ole Miss grad transfer who's going to probably be their starting center when they take on Pitt tonight in their season opener. He's been dealing with a calf strain, but they're they're expecting to have him. And he uh, he's really that veteran guy. He's been in basketball, basketball for four years now. This is the fifth year, I believe. Yeah, and he's just been that uh, he, he'll be somebody that Balsa can really go to and learn from who has that experience. I think that will do wonders for him and some of those other FSU bigs who are a little less experienced. Who are, who are a couple players that might be a little off the radar a bit for, for other folks that, that FSU thinks is are ready to make a bigger jump? Uh, I think a guy you look at is a rising sophomore, Devin Vassell. He didn't play a lot last year, but when he played, he made the most of it. I mean, he averaged 10 minutes a game, less than 11 minutes a game and averaged almost five points. He uh, had the best three-point percentage on the team. He's one of those – it's not a, an entirely apt comparison, but if you're looking at body type thing, he is one of those where his arms and how he uses them are almost like not proportionate to the rest <laughs> of the Very long arms. that Like the, the Fiondu Cabangeli, Kevin Durant type in that regard. <laughs> and they, they really like – what he does at the defensive end and how he affects. And he, I mean, as I said, was as a freshman, the best three point shooter on the team last year by percentage and has really taken on a bigger leadership role coming up as a sophomore and to the point where with uh, John Rothstein, obviously big college basketball national guy mentioned Devin as one of, I think two guys who nationwide has impressed a lot of the NBA scouts who've watched preseason hmm. workouts before the year. He, uh, He'll, I think he'll be an NBA guy. I'm not sure he's only going to be here two years. I think he might be here a little longer, but I he I think is a guy who low key, to at least to the average fan, projects will be a long term in like in the long term NBA guy. How is uh how's MJ Walker? Is he is how's the health? Uh, he played half of their second scrimmage. I think they're expecting to have him to start the year, but the question is kind of how big a role. I think a big thing for MJ, he's going to live and die by the three-point shot. If he's hitting that three, he does a lot of the small things well, but the three I mentioned, is it's the big thing for him. If he's hitting that, it, it opens up so much for him and his game and really everyone else around him and will make him a major asset. He hasn't yet maybe realized the potential you thought you were getting from, from a guy of his caliber coming in, but you've seen it in glimpses, and I think the belief within the coaching staff is still there that – he can become that guy. And this is definitely a year with the playing time up for grabs where he could realize that. Raekwon Gray is a guy I got to coach against in South Florida, a, a kid that um, is really strong, uh, kind of improved fundamentally on the block, at least from what I saw in the summer. See another guy they think can can take a, a pretty big leap forward? You said Raekwon? Yeah. Yeah, I- 
Devin, he'd probably be my second choice for who's going to take a, uh, a a bigger role this year with FSU losing two starting bigs off last year's team. I mean, it's a he's he's a bizarre case because he's <laughs> he's I mean he he's big size both in terms of height and kind of his build, but he's one of the better ball handlers on the team. He's not going to play the point, but you trust him handling the ball way more than you would trust most people his size. I think a big thing for him, he's been, uh, it's not, I I hesitate to use the word overweight. I think some people just have bigger frames and he fits that mold. And he's been working hard to kind of shed some weight because with the tempo, the fast tempo FSU wants to run and the bigger role they're expecting him to have this year, he's really been trying to get himself in tip top shape as much as possible to be able to kind of maximize his potential. But I think, yeah, he's a guy they're very high on and will be asked to do a good bit more this season with the, uh, losses FSU suffered last year in the in the front court so let's let's finish with with the game Sunday obviously people in in Gainesville are well aware (laughs) that the streaks at five uh Mike White hasn't won this game while while Leonard wouldn't say it I think I imagine that the streak is probably a big deal to him if he even if he wouldn't say so out loud um but yes (laughs) yeah I mean what do you think that FSU has to do to keep the streak going. And, and I mean, you know, obviously it's different cause you got to start with the conference game tonight. So, you know, you can't really be all about Florida cause you're not playing UNF like Florida did. Uh, you know, I mean, what, what are you looking to see Sunday in terms of the matchup? It'll be, I mean, it'll be interesting to, to say the least. I mean, I think a big thing for Florida state, it wouldn't doom their season by any means, but I think Florida state desperately with this start, I mean, you mentioned a road ACC game and then a road rivalry game against a a borderline top five team. I think Florida state just, it would go wonders to not start. zero and two. So that could happen tonight. We're recording this on Wednesday when they, they play pit. And then, I mean, you're not as worried about that, but it's my thing that I've said all along, obviously Florida state is a, is younger Two, they're replacing a lot. They have plenty of players who are going to be stepping into significantly bigger roles this season. I don't know if they're going through that as much as Florida is, though. I think this Florida team's very good. I also think Florida State, kind of in a way with the schedule, drew a lucky straw where I would rather face this Florida team two games into the season than maybe where they normally played this game until the last couple of years in, in like the early to mid to late December range. I think this team, even then, with all the new pieces getting introduced, your Scotty Lewis's, your Kerry Blackshears are going to be a lot more kind of like on the same page. So I think that's one of the biggest things that might be working in Florida State's favor. I'm still not sure I'm willing to take them. Obviously, Florida is Florida, and this Florida team is a lot more well-regarded than the last Florida team when Florida State went down there two years ago and, I mean, frankly, routed. <laughs> yeah, it was. One... When I was at that game, that was a uh, – it was a uh, – something to behold. I think that's when we realized there was really something special about that uh, Florida state team, but right. I think acquitting themselves well, giving themselves a chance to be in that game with as much talent, as I mentioned, as Florida has would go a long way towards showing a lot of those younger players. Hey, we belong in this game. They've faced Kerry Blackshear multiple times. They faced him twice last year at Virginia tech and years before that as well. They know what to expect from him. They obviously know the threat, he poses and he'll test some of those inexperienced bigs. I think that could very well be where the game is lost if if Florida State comes up on the short side. So it'll be uh, it'll be worth seeing. I'm 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 driving down for that game. We're day tripping, so I'm excited to see how it looks. 
Well, I think it'll be a good one. And I agree with you. I think it's a good time to play Florida. And, and to some extent, it, it'll be interesting on, on the Florida end. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Florida responds to, to, to some external pressure for the first time of the season. You know, it, it's a big game to the fans. I think it's a, I think Mike White and the staff really want to win the game again, would never say so out loud. Um, but, but that's kind of an interesting element. Kurt, tell everybody where they can, uh, find your work, find you on Twitter. Uh, and thanks for the time today. Oh, of course. I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm Kurt, C-U-R-T-M, the letter M, Weiler, W-E-I-L-E-R. You can follow me there. If you're interested in reading my stuff, I, I share a lot of my stuff, my, my co-workers' stuff from the Democrat there. Uh, you can also look Tallahassee.com, Nullsports.com. Those are our websites where you're going to find a lot of stuff. Obviously, a, uh, a, a lot of football stuff happening now, but I think plenty of fans are excited for this basketball season with kind of the results on the football field once again. And I think we pride ourselves on uh, me and my coworker, Wayne, on having some of the best FSU basketball coverage out there. So we'll be there with them throughout the season. Plenty of stuff. Yeah. Kurt and Wayne do an excellent job and, and covering, I think one of the most underrated programs in the country. So thanks again, Kurt. And, um, you know, en- enjoy the season, enjoy the ride and, and try to survive the coaching search. Oh, I appreciate it, Neil. <laughs> All right.